The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. The Nazis did not really lose World War II. They made it appear that way in order to divert attention from the alliance between the Fourth Reich and the race of aliens known as the Reptilians, an ancient galactic civilization obsessed with conquest and domination. After the German surrender in 1945, the Nazi Reptilian Alliance infiltrated the U.S. military-industrial complex through Operation Paperclip. The Nazis and Reptilians removed their political opponents, such as the Kennedys, and moved into policy-making positions in post-war America, infiltrating aerospace companies, banking, media, and the U.S. government, including NASA and the CIA. But the real target was not the United States. It was the solar system. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Fabregas. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is veteran of this radio program, Len Kasten. He's a UFO researcher and freelance writer. He's a former member of the National Investigations Committee of Aerial Phenomenon and the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON. He's the author of many books, The Secret History of Extraterrestrials, Secret Journey to Planet Serpo, Alien World Order, and the latest book, which will be the focus of tonight's discussion, titled Dark Fleet, The Secret Nazi Space Program, and The Battle for the Solar System. Len Kasten joins us directly from Peoria, Arizona. Hello, Len, and welcome back. Hi, Mel. Nice to be with you. Congratulations on the new book. Thank you. What was your motivation for this book? A lot of this talk for the last decade, I would say, secret space program, the relationship with the Nazis who came via Operation Paperclip. What's your motivation? Well, when I finished my last book, Alien World Order, I began to realize that the story was not over yet, that really we have to move out into the solar system to get the rest of the story. It became clear to me after talking to some other people and doing some more research, I realized, especially especially the ex-super soldiers, which I think you, who I know you were aware of, right? They were yes. the super soldiers. Well, you know, they were con- the consensus was absolutely, uh, absolutely uh, monopolized. They monopolized that consensus that the um, the alien, the Nazis had moved out into the solar system, and they were operating on Mars and the Moon. So I, I realized I had to finish my research and uh, and write the the last book on the, on this whole subject. Before we begin, do you think, and we'll discuss Antarctica late, later, do you think Antarctica was the jumping board or the catalyst 
for them to go elsewhere if they indeed are on the moon and Mars? Absolutely. They they created what they called Base 211 in Antarctica with the help of the reptilians. And that became their launching point for the all, all of their space adventures. Was that known as Neuschwebenland? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Is that still uh, there? Well, it's still there, but by, and now it's more of an American colony since they have moved more to Mars and the moon. And they've more or less abandoned uh, Base 211. So uh, most of the American aerospace companies that moved down there and joined with the German companies have remained there. They all have, have uh, facilities there as well as, as well as other places. Now, for anybody who thinks this is just science fiction, I have seen, and I think I may have in my collection of stuff, postcards, postcards from the 1940s with a stamp saying Little America and others saying New Schwabenland. So there were two locations during that time, weren't they? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very, really interesting. Uh, Schwabenland was under the ice. It was not on the surface, of course, and uh, it was under two miles of ice. But the caverns down there are so huge that they could build tall buildings there in that in that facility. And they did have tall buildings there. And the population grew rapidly. And the American, the American aerospace companies, after they realized how successful the Germans were, came down there and joined them. And uh, it became an international facility eventually. I wanted to go in chronological order, but since you're opening these doors right from the offset, I have to go back to Admiral Byrd. What do you think happened that the Americans were handed, they left two weeks after instead of, uh, I believe it was going to be a two, three-month expedition. And it, after two weeks, they came, they just returned. And even Chile, their reports from a hospital saying some of these people were severely, severely burned and injured, some of our troops. Are you talking about the uh, hospitals in, in Chile? Correct. Yes, okay. They were taking care of the American soldiers who were returning from that part of the world. I guess that right. was not heavily reported. Exactly. Well, that was all the that was all the results of Operation High Jump, which I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah, that's uh, what I'm referring to. Okay, yeah. Well, we we didn't expect to be encountering any uh flying saucers in Antarctica. It was total it was a total surprise. And the reason they had that technology there at base 211 was because the, the general who was in charge of that development in Czechoslovakia, Hans Kammler, was taken down there and helped to develop the flying saucer technology uh, uh, at Base 211. So they were ready for us when we got there with, with, the, with the fleet, with Operation High Jump, and the, the saucers came right out of the water. And uh, before we knew what was happening, they sunk uh, at least one ship and supposedly killed about 68 Marines. Uh, and Byrd realized that he had no defense against that. The question I have is, were these saucers and this exotic technology that we encounter there, were these Nazi technology or the alien technology? And if they were Nazi technology, why didn't they use it during World War II? Otherwise, they would have won with it. Well... That's a long story. It, it it was it was it was basically alien technology that was given to them, and uh, if they hadn't made that alliance with the reptilians, they they probably wouldn't have had it. 
nor would they have had all the other wonder weapons, the rockets, for instance. Uh, the German scientists were, were, of course, very good and very accomplished and very keen, but they did not have the ability to do what they did without the help of the reptilians. So, uh, and actually, and think about it, it, it had to be, why would they have gone to Antarctica of all places if they hadn't been, if it hadn't been suggested to them or encouraged by the reptilians themselves? I mean, to go 6,000 miles across the Atlantic to a frozen wasteland that they knew nothing about, to spend all that money on the, on the voyage and on the, uh, the preparations on the brink of World War II, it just didn't make any sense. So they had they went there because they knew what they what to expect. They were being helped. But here's the disconnect that I've always found with this story. And I'm not saying that it didn't happen. Something happened with Admiral Byrd for sure. And we've seen the diary and the testimonials from other people and some of his relatives. But if Nazi Germany had that technology, and obviously judging by what we saw in World War II, they had an expansion they had expansion in their plants. If they are now in Antarctica and they have this technology, why haven't they taken over or had they taken over? Well, that was the whole point of my book is that they did take over. They did take over. Operation Paperclip was the beginning of the takeover. And the climax of the takeover was the installation of an ex-colonel in the SS as the head of NASA. Uh, I mean, really, what else, what other proof do we need? We had, we had two, we had two, uh, two American diplomats, Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles, brothers, who were Nazi sympathizers to begin with. And, and, and Alan Dulles was the head of the CIA. No, I'm not, I'm not disputing that story at all. Because we had, would you say about 50% of those genius people, because they were genius, whether they're Nazis or not, these people were smart. They came here. And we brought them here. But so did the Soviet Union. They got, what, about 50% of them went to the Soviet Union? Well, the, 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 the Nazis wanted America because they wanted to come to this continent. They knew that they had to, if they were going to take over, they had to take over American industry because that's where all the, that's where all the, the brilliance was. And all the, all the best uh, technicians, all the best scientists were here. They were not in Russia. And uh, from the very beginning, they, they targeted America as their, as their future home. And uh, they started out in Argentina and went, went, went to uh, Antarctica. So whenever somebody says the Nazis lost the war, but they won the peace, what they really mean is that they actually infiltrated the U.S. from within, industry, military, government, you name it. That's right. That's exactly what happened, and it all started with paperclip when they uh, they they put they took all the ex Nazis, some of the most brutal most brutal uh, ex Nazis, and brought them in and scrubbed their records clean, uh, and made them Americans, and put them to work in American aerospace companies and in government government jobs. It was well, unbelievable, really. Well, and uh, Eisenhower actually found out about it. What did Eisenhower say about this? You have, you have to go back and reread this Eisenhower speech. I, I, I discussed this at length in my book. What he was really warning us against in that warning speech. The farewell speech, you mean? I'm sorry? The farewell speech. Yeah, the farewell speech. Yeah. 
that he came that he gave just before Kennedy took over. Uh, I I made a point of this in the book. You, did you read that part of the book? I did. I did. Yeah, where that speech that speech went through twenty one drafts before they finally got it exactly the way they wanted it. He was basically trying to warn us of what had happened to our aerospace industry and to our and to our uh, economy, and that it was infiltrated by the Nazis. But he couldn't say it. He couldn't say it in so many words. Uh, but he he did as best he did as best he could. He chose his words very carefully, and uh, for those who had ears to listen, he was telling us, "Hey, watch out! Things have changed." Back in those days, this is nineteen sixty. Three. No, I'm sorry. This is 1961 when he said that, correct? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Back Kennedy in those just, days. Kennedy just taken office, yeah. Exactly. So back in those days, I don't think we had, what do you call it, uh, censorship. We had these people who, uh, right now in every, every media platform, 30 seconds, a minute, they immediately just cut. If they don't like what they're hearing, they cut it. Do you think if Eisenhower's speech were being broadcast today, would it have made it public just like it did in 1961? I think it would have because he selected his words very carefully for that very reason. He couldn't really say what he wanted to say. So he had to suggest it as best he could. And I think he did a good job. I mean, it took 20, as I said, it took 21 drafts before they got it right. But nobody really suspected after that speech that there was anything really uh, to worry about, nor did he ever mention the Nazis or the Germans or any of that. So uh, he made the point for those who had ears to listen. So back in those yeah. days, the, the monster hadn't been created yet, if you will. And that's what probably why they didn't, quote unquote, get it. And now we see the monster right in our face. Exactly. And uh, but interest, what's interesting about that situation is that at the very time that he was giving that speech in 1960, that was precisely when Werner von Braun was taking over uh, the, the, uh, the space center at NASA. So by that time, the, the, the takeover had already been completed by the Nazis. They were already in all the major aerospace companies. They were already in, working with the CIA. Uh, with Reinhard Galen, the spy master. And uh, that was basically the end of the story. It was done by 1960. Do you think that NASA is just window dressing? And I think this is probably the thesis of your book, that there exists a different platform. Call it the secret space program, breakaway civilization, a space force, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that is what made it to the moon? And, and I know that this offends a lot of people who are very patriotic, and so am I. But I really don't think that with the technology that they showed us, which by now, they lost the telemetry, they lost the tapes, they lost the technology, and they said they cannot bring it back. Do you buy that? Well, I don't know. Is it your opinion that they did not actually go to the moon? With Apollo, I don't think that we did. I think this was truly a Kubrick production. You really do, huh? If, you know, if we made it, perhaps with this technology that you're alluding to, perhaps we did. Well, Werner von Braun was not actually interested in really helping us. He was interested in putting the brakes on our program while he knew that the real program was being developed on the moon and Mars. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we, did not, if we didn't make it to the moon. Huh, I, wait a second. I, I've, studied, I've studied it. 
you have another angle there that I haven't considered. You're saying that the not that Von Brown and company may have uh, pretended that we went, but in reality, he was putting the brakes so that the Nazis in Antarctica were the ones there already taken over. Is that what you're insinuating? Well, what I'm insinuating is that he knew how important this was to Kennedy and that Kennedy was absolutely fanatic about getting to the moon. So he did He did everything he could superficially, but I don't think he was doing what he really could have done because he had a lot of scientist friends who were already here under Operation Paperclip. And I think they were working together. And uh, his goal was not to help America get to the moon. I can tell you that. He may, he may have been forced into it by Kennedy, but uh, he himself, I don't think, was truly cooperative in that effort. My own feeling at this point, after, after thinking about it and talking to a lot of people at conferences, uh, I've, I've come to the conclusion that we probably did go to the moon. Uh, I think it was just too difficult to to do that, to make that look like a real uh, landing on a on a soundstage somewhere in Hollywood, I just don't think it was possible. Even with uh, even with Kubrick's help, and Kubrick was a genius. Don't get me wrong, but I just I think it really was. We did get to the moon. I'm sure we did, but it explains why we never went back. Well, that's another story. Why did we go back? But you know, yeah. when you look at the situation that happened with Grissom, Traffy, and and White. And when Grissom said, we can't even talk to the next office, and he put a lemon on top of the, the module, that to me was the beginning. Like, wait a second, we're not going. And I think that what Kubrick did was not to, to show the world that we went to the moon, but it was in case we failed. And Nixon, he, he, Nixon even had that, um, that uh, a scripted something yeah, that yeah, he had to right. read in the event that we didn't make it. But I don't think the United States wanted to tell the Soviets, hey, look, we failed. Now it's your turn. Well, that, that, sounds, that sounds like the right motivation there because uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a hedge against failure. I agree with that. Exactly. Now, but, let's... I, but, I, but I really think maybe they really did go, though. I, I've come to the conclusion that they did go. It, was just, it just seemed too difficult to fake that. I just you know, want I... to believe. I want to believe that we went. But when I see the pictures of the moon, I mean, I'm sorry, of Earth, supposedly taken from the moon. If you look at the size of the Earth and the size of the moon, it makes absolutely no sense. Furthermore, I haven't seen one single picture from NASA admitted by NASA saying that they're not composites, not a single image. And don't you yeah. think that you and I, Len, would have commercialized the moon already? At least all these companies, Nike, and I just give Pepsi, Coca, whatever, they Shouldn't they have a camera on the moon? Call it Earth TV or, or you know, moon TV and Absolutely. have a 24-7 picture of Earth with commercials underneath. How many people would be tuning into that? I would. I know, of course. Absolutely. Well, you know what's, what could be behind this whole thing, uh, uh, Mel? By, 19, by, 1960, by 1960, the Nazis already had a sizable presence on the moon as I discussed in my book they had they had taken that initial that initial trip to the moon and started burrowing under the surface and they had built a, a facility there and that's probably the reason they didn't want it that uh von braun didn't want us there and uh cooperated in the fake in the in making it a fake there you go there was just too much german presence already there see that sounds more plausible 
Yeah, it's almost I, like I, that I movie. That movie. What, what's the name of that movie that came out a, a couple of years ago? It was kind of a comedy. But Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.